0: Content warning: gun violence and apartheid. Dang old far, far future man. let get out there and invent the hyperdrivers of mankind spread spread out spread out the start, man. Everyone, everyone, in Texas. man, able to get get out on that old dang old Campbell, Campbell Four. Call it call it New Texas, go. Go to society and get them society based on, on ranch, man, and giant giant careers, They go dig a soup cattle, super super everything, man. Shooting everything, man. Lawless planet. Look at look at, look out politicians, man. Man, I'll tell you what. Yep. Yep. Mm-hmm. action, excitement, horror romance, thrills and chills, swords and sorcery, rockets and ray guns, a dizzying canoply of the strange and impossible from the darkest depths of the human imagination, what mad that universe encompasses such tales as these? It had been the dissatisfied, of course, the discontented, the dreamers who had led the vanguard of man's explosion into space following the discovery of the hyperspace drive. They had gone from Terra, cherishing dreams of ways of life that had been dumped into the dustbin of history, or that had never really been. Then, in their new life, on new planets, they had set to work making those dreams and those pictures live. And many times, they had come close to succeeding. These Texans now, they had left behind the cold fact that it had been their state's great industrial complex that had made their migration possible. They ignored the fact that their life here on Capella 4 was possible only by application of modern industrial technology. That rodeo down the plaza, tank tilting instead of bronco-busting. Here they were, living frozen in a romantic dream, a world of roving cowboys and ranch kingdoms. Hi, welcome to What Mad Universe. I'm Adam. I'm Philip. Hi. So today, howdy. Yeah. So today we're talking about uh, a bit of a weird little uh, curlicue called um, uh, either Lone Star Planet or a planet for Texans. It Might even have other names, actually. I'm not even sure about. Um, uh, I've only come across those two, but it's possible. Yeah, and it was published. It was. It's a. It's quite a short novel. Uh, it was published, I believe, uh, back in the back in the fifties. It said fifty-seven. Yeah, fifty-seven. It was published, uh, and it was published as a double uh, novel. Like they used to sometimes publish novels as, uh, you know, like short novels, it, two to a two to a book by the same publisher. Uh, so it was published with an Andre Norton novel as well. Um, but uh, yeah, this is uh, by a uh, uh, Planet for Texans by uh, H. H. Beam Piper
1: and John J. McGuire. John J. McGuire.
0: Yeah, there you go who are not prolific authors as far as we can tell but uh they seem to have a bit out there. And well, this is Piper a, does anyway. Yeah, I guess Piper has a bit of a uh, of the two. <laughs> when you look at Wikipedia, uh Piper has a uh as a s- s- decent decently substantial Wikipedia page and uh Maguire does not. So that may tell you something there. Um but it's very much of the pulp uh, pulp variety and um it's of the genre called the Space Western, which um, Phil has been informing me about. Uh, of course, it's pretty straightforward what it is. But um, Phil, tell, tell us about the Space Western genre.
1: Yeah, well, it's hard to pinpoint when it started because it's, it's always hard to pinpoint starts of genres. You know, people say Mary Shelley invented science fiction, but, you know, it goes back further. Right. Um, but uh, one of the early examples of the Space Western, one of the earliest that I could find references to, are uh, the Northwest Smith series from the 1930s by C.L. Moore, uh, which featured some sort of rugged Han Solo-esque character as a main character, uh, Northwest Smith. Um, that's one I'd like to do in a future episode, because I haven't read those yet, but they look interesting, and it's a female author, so that's, that's a good break from... All the white dudes, like we said last week.
0: Yeah, okay, cool. Um, no, so, sorry, you said he was a hand Solo-type character, so he's an outlaw, would you say? Those, I think or... so. I, I don't know. I haven't read them yet, so... Yeah, right. Okay, obviously I haven't read them, you can't say, but yeah.
1: Yeah, I. from my understanding, it's like a, a smuggler or something. Okay, alright. Well, makes sense. No, for sure. Um, yeah, Space Westerns uh, probably came about because, um... Well, Westerns were very popular, and a lot of the sci-fi writers also wrote for Western mag- magazines mm. and novels and so forth. So there was quite a bit of crossover, so it makes sense that uh, they'd start mixing them.
0: Right, obviously, uh, yeah, Stylistically exactly. and in terms
1: of, you know, just putting, like... Uh, by 1950, it had become a complete cliché, apparently... Um, a magazine called Galaxy Science Fiction actually advertised itself by saying it didn't have any space western stories. <laughs> um, and it, um, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but it, uh, it, um, jets blasting. Bat Durston came screeching down through the atmosphere of, blah, 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 whatever, uh, a tiny planet 7 billion light years from Sol. He cut out his hyperdrive for the landing, and at that point, a tall, lean spaceman stepped out of the tail assembly. Proton gun blaster in a space hand hand. Get back from those controls, Bat Durston. The tall stranger lifts lifts Finley. You don't know it, but this is your last space trip.
0: Sound alike? They should. But one is merely a Western transplanted to some alien impossible planet. If this is your idea of science fiction, you're welcome to it. You'll never find it in Galaxy. Is what the ad says. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, as you say, it it was clearly something people were. Well, some people were probably getting sick of as a <laughs> as a go-to by the by the yeah, 50s. and yeah. and now it's 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 still going
1: on. I mean, um, sure, uh, Firefly uh, from the early two thousands. Uh, I just saw mm-hmm. an episode of a cartoon called uh, Galaxy Rangers. Okay, it's explicitly just cowboys in space, like they ride robot horses, and
0: right, it's it was terrible. Cowboy well, you know, it's kind of fun. I feel I feel like that's the kind of thing where, you know, once a, once once a generation you could have something along those lines. And of yeah. course there's Cowboy Bebop's
1: often Bebop. referenced as it, but it's only sort of like that
0: for like one episode, but yeah. Yeah, it yeah, that's right. It is funny that that's called, they go, they say Cowboy Bebop, and oh, it's all cowboy, but it's not really that Western compared to some of the other things, which are very literally Westerns in space. I always yeah. found it amusing that, uh, you know, a lot of critics writing often somewhat contemptuously about Star Wars go, oh, yes, and a Western in space. And I mean, there's a stretch of the first Star Wars movie that's basically a Western in space. Uh, when they go to the cantina, essentially. Uh, but only very, and I guess you could argue Luke out on the range, kind of, uh, but only very vaguely is it a space western. And then I guess Solo has a train robbery as well. Mm-hmm.
1: Well, uh, Star Trek is
0: often described as a space western, with all the uh, right—the
1: uh, wagon trails to the stars sort
0: of thing. Right, well, that w- as I understand it, what they did was the executives told Gene Roddenberry, we want to... We want a show that is Wagon Train, which was a popular uh, Western TV show, uh, which was obviously, as it would suggest, about settlers traveling West in a wagon train. We want that in outer space. Um, And... Gene Roddenberry said, "Sure, I'll do it." And then he made Star Trek, which isn't really wagon train to the stars at all. It has no the, the very little connection to that. Mm-hmm. And then uh, the irony is that when Battlestar Galactica came along, the nineteen seventies yeah. version, that really is bat- wagon train to the stars. They they said, "Okay, we're going to do what Star Trek was supposed to be." Basically, so okay. that was kind of funny.
1: Um, yeah. So this this novel, um, I first encountered it as a teenager, actually. Um, it was on a forum. Somebody just posted the cover. It's like a, um, you know, memes or, you know, memes or whatever you would have called them at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, sort of just joke things that... Uh, Posting. That, I yeah. I have to I'm not sure if I we can say that. that. I was trying to... Yes. Mess around I'll it, bleep but... it out. Bleep it out. <laughs> but yes, okay. you're right. We shouldn't say um, that. Yes. Yeah. So it was um, uh, the cover. Uh, we'll probably post it in various places, but it's... Um, it's it says a planet for Texans, and there's a giant cow, like, um, not quite kaiju size, but, like, a really, really big cow, and there's a sort of airship running away from it. And, um, I wasn't sure if it was a real thing or, like, a parody or something, and I wasn't... I, I sort of put it out of mind, you know, I didn't think about it, I didn't bother looking into it, but, uh... Years, decade, like a decade later, I was browsing on uh, LibriVox, which has uh, public domain audiobooks, uh, read by volunteers. I highly recommend that service. Um, It's free and everything. Um, I was browsing the science fiction section, and I came across a book called Lone Star Planet that seemed to have the same sort of feel to it. And then I found out it's the same book, just published under a different name. Mm -hmm. So I read it, and uh, I was surprised. It's not... It's not quite like advertised. Uh, it, it No sort of the way it looks is like a or you describe it, you know, a, a planet te- settled by Texans and there's giant cows. You'd think it's an adventure story, but it's not really. It's
0: Yeah. So it's a legal it's a drama. Political
1: drama with some courtroom <laughs> drama and
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's space interesting. Space opera and, elements and, in the background. And, and and as you say, it's almost because you almost wonder if because that was such a cliche at that point. Uh, the the space western that they could then do a legal drama that was set within the space western genre <laughs> yeah and um but yeah no it's not it's not a I mean there are shootouts and things but it's not yeah. um it's not what you would expect when you say space western you expect them robbing trains and riding on the the range or the space range or going to outer space or whatever um and yeah. it's much more about um, it's actually what this actually seems to have been a bit of a subgenre as well, or a sub-subgenre even, either, either uh, in 50s sci-fi. Um, well, not 50s sci-fi, sci-fi in general, but uh, it, it, it seems to have really picked up in the post-war period, which is the idea of being a diplomatic uh, envoy. Uh, to a planet in some capacity or another and having to make sense of the local customs and getting into trouble often because of the crazy local customs, whether it's a human colonized planet or a group of aliens that you have to uh, coordinate it's it, it, that has been uh, you know I've been reading science fiction since the 80s and that is a, very much a staple of the genre the whole I came to a planet I came to solve some problem but I didn't nobody really knows why it's a problem oops as we you know as I spend some time on the planet I realize there's a whole weird cultural thing that nobody understood so I've got to sort it out so yeah, it's um, like
1: half the Star Trek episodes
0: right yeah Star Trek was definitely somewhat inspired by that but just to describe this basic story here, so people know what we're talking about. Um, It's a... Here's an excerpt from the book uh, Phil put up. They had found Capilla 4, a Terra-type planet with a slightly higher mean temperature, a lower mass and lower gravitational field, about one-quarter water and three-quarters land service at a stage of evolutionary development approximately that of Terra during the late Pliocene. They also found Super Cow, a big mammal looking like the unsuccessful attempt of a hippopotamus to impersonate a dashund and about the size of a nuclear steam locomotive. On New Texas Plains, there were billions of them. Their meat was fit for the gods of Olympus. So New Texas had become the meat supply to the galaxy. And this was a planet settled literally by the state of Texas going into outer space and finding their own planet, where of course the government wouldn't hassle them and they could have you know Texas rot larger than it usually is. Um, mm-hmm. and, uh, so it's about, uh, uh, Stephen Silk, who's an, uh, uh a diplomat who comes from the solar league, obviously the, the well, state he's is...
1: demoted to diplomat at the beginning of the story, right? Yeah. He's actually
0: in trouble. So he's, he's banished to a faraway world, but he's, uh, he represents basically what could be called essentially the Federation. Um, and of course, Texas does not want to join the Federation because they are Texan in spirit and they're kind of, uh, you know. They're independence-minded, which is why they left Earth in the first place. Um, and so he has to go there and basically solve the... Not not really solve the murder, but uh, deal with the murder of the last uh, ambassador. That's the main uh, subplot, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. And um, uh, we should get to this. The uh, New Texas government is based on the idea that you're allowed to assassinate politicians if they go too far. Right. Uh, it's based on a... Um, uh, suggestion by uh, H. L. Mencken, the uh, uh, humorist, uh, in his essay, uh, "The Malevolent Job Holder." Um, I won't mm-hmm. read the whole thing, but it's basically what I what I just said. Uh, don't let the government get too big because um, you know it'll it'll oppress you. So if uh, if a politician oversteps his bounds, it should be considered okay to uh, to do whatever you want to them. And yeah. Uh, and yeah, and once you're and you get tried afterwards and. Um, on New Texas in the Court of Criminal Justice, but the trial is basically a trial of the victim, right. um, to see if they had it coming <laughs> and yeah, if exactly. the severity was in proportion to what they did. Right. Um, so, like, if they try to raise taxes, um, you're allowed to just kill them. Yeah. Yep. And um, and it's it's encouraged to do that. Uh, not necessarily. Well, they say it's not because they don't. It's not because they want to lose money, according to them. It's just because they don't want the government to get any power.
0: Right. Yeah, they're a little, <laughs> they go a little back and forth on it. But yeah, and it's, and it's funny because it's portrayed as completely insane initially. And then they kind of almost paint it as, well, maybe this is a good thing later on. So they, they kind of go back and forth. Um, yeah, they describe uh, the system as a um,
1: uh, sort of a modern feudalism. Uh, so the ranch owners, uh, it once again super cow is like the meat, uh, the meat that the whole galaxy eats, and um, um, but they're so large and so uh, invulnerable, you have to herd them with fighter planes and tanks. <laughs> so every ranch owner has like a small army at its disposal. Um, right. So um, uh, it's basically, like I said, feudalism uh, by owned by these ranchers but they can't overstep their bounds either because all their men know each other and will organize or whatever that that's the idea anyway it's (laughs) not i don't know how well that would work but it's it works within the context of the novel so
0: yeah i mean it's 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 sort of ludicrous enough and and whimsical and satirical enough that you know, I don't think the authors were promoting it as, oh yeah, this is an actually good way to run your, <laughs> your planet. Yeah. Um, although they do have, you know, the, the hero, he essentially comes around to them by the end of the story. He's basically like, yeah, I like this way of live, of life. Um, mm-hmm. In practical, you know, it's, it, it is hard to get away from a certain, uh, you know, Ayn Rand feeling. She also advocated, you know, killing politicians who got, who started to get in your way if you wanted to do things, basically. And I mean, the the funny thing is that the real Wild West uh, didn't work that way. <laughs> you know, it was, it, yeah. it's proposal as if that's how the Wild West is going to work. But I mean, they were famously, well, they weren't famous because we've kind of erased it from history, but they, the ranch owners and the big railroad barons, uh, did a lot of union crushing and making sure their their you know their workers wouldn't rise up against them so they could live like oligarchs so unfortunately I don't think that would work in any way shape or form in real life but this is again this is kind of meant to be a bit ridiculous it's not necessarily meant to yeah, be yeah yeah
1: it's it has a very whimsical tone
0: right and um, and it's uh you know it's like I, I mean obviously just the whole. Well, that as I say, that's as you say, like because space western was a genre at that point, um, you know the inherent ridiculousness of it maybe might have been muted a bit at the time because people had read so many cowboys in outer space stories at that point that maybe they did yeah. maybe they were willing to take it a little more seriously than we might be reading it, but uh, but it's 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 a it's it's a often humorous kind of whimsical book, so I don't you know the ra- the authors clearly weren't taking it too seriously either, so. Mm-hmm. So
1: it, it does, it does, it's an interesting book. I really enjoyed it. I was uh, surprised by a lot of it. There's the idea that um, the Texans are recreating a way of life that n- might never have really existed. Right, yeah. Um, they uh, they brought the Alamo brick by brick and rebuilt it on <laughs> New Texas. Yeah, yeah. Um, he, and, he almost uh, gets into
0: trouble for saying, hey, look at that, you made a perfect replica of the Alamo, and they're like, don't say that, that's the actual Alamo, <laughs> you know.
1: Yeah, and um, – oh, I can't remember, but there's a funny bit where he's given the national uniform that he wants – that he's uh, told to wear, and um, he says uh, denim trousers that for some obscure reason are called Levi's.
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's Um, all – and even the passage I read at the beginning there, um, he the next line, I left it out, but he talks about how his, uh, quote, bodyguard who may be trying to kill him um, was giving him a, you know, he said he didn't like... Uh, he didn't like reading about other people's reporting on Texas because it sort of shattered the idea that oh we've perfectly replicated what Texas was like in the the 19th century because it, they hadn't like <laughs> yeah. very explicitly it's an attempt to recreate the past rather than an actual correct version of the past right
1: yeah and like you said in the reading they um it their whole way of life relies on the mechanization they've managed to um get but their their way of life involves pretending that that doesn't exist
0: right exactly which is a nice a nice point to make i think there (laughs) so that was yeah that that was kind of good um so you know he he becomes sympathetic to them ultimately but yeah there's there's enough sort of well we're not going to talk about this as a as a utopian society by any means
1: um Um, yeah there's also a nice bit of satire in one part where um there's an ambassador from a south african nationalist planet Mm -hmm. um who um, and it says that they were a frustrated a lot because they had gone to space to practice apartheid, apartheid. Right. Uh, but they settled on a planet where there was no intelligent race to be superior to. <laughs> yeah, I just thought that was amusing. Yeah, no,
0: it's it's clearly coming from a uh, you know a. a, a... A mid-century liberal viewpoint, I guess, would be mm-hmm. the general politics, uh, which is, of course, the same thing that ended up birthing Star Trek and the Twilight Zone and everything like that. I think. Um, it's, Although, it, I mean, this is in
1: the fifties. Apartheid went on for quite a bit after that, so it's, oh yeah, it's, it's of course. Interesting.
0: Well, of course, but I mean, it was. I mean, it's it's an American comment or Americans commenting on apartheid. Yeah. Know? Well, maybe we can uh, we can talk about it, like um, as we say. The story ends up being a legal drama. Uh, the the main question then becomes, because the last uh, ambassador sent by the Solar League was murdered, and they bring it to political court like they do any time a politician is killed. And uh, Silk, the main character, goes, well, guys, don't you understand the problem here? If we're going to consider diplomats to be politicians... Uh, that's going to raise a whole which means of course that they can be killed for overstepping their bounds that's going to create a whole ton of problems including possibly whether this uh you know we're ever going to have any dealings with this with this planet because anyone who comes to the planet to be a diplomat could be murdered legally uh that that's going to create some problems and uh as at the, the same time he can't uh he can't allow them to go free
1: because uh that'll make the solar league look bad in new texas size and Make them right. look weak all over the galaxy.
0: Right, so they're in kind of a a legal pickle, and that is that is the the thrust of the story. Um, and there's they, also a uh, the background of an invasion
1: by the Sisraf, which are right. a race that uh, of humanoids that descended from dogs, right, or canine-like creatures. Yeah and,
0: the, the, um, the 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 sense on uh, New Texas Capella Four is uh, there's some of them who want to be be of course. Blatantly independent, but some of them realize that they, they're gonna need to, you know, uh become part of the Solar League in order to defend themselves against the Sisrauf, uh these alien potential invaders. Although they're not they're not too <laughs> they're not too aggressive. They kind of they're they're you know, they're 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 doing diplomatic stuff as well. They're not just pointing their guns at the at the, the planet
1: yeah, anything. it's like there's a secret
0: invasion that's about to happen, basically, right. you know, over the course of the story right they're they're kind of waiting for their moment basically um but then so anyway so then it becomes oh uh, and
1: of course they organized the the hit on the on the previous ambassador
0: right yeah it's pretty clear pretty fast that they wanted the ambassador killed so that texas would not join the solar league uh, new texas would not join the solar league and they could invade without you know cuz t- new texas of course doesn't have a fleet of ships to defend themselves so um so it's just, it's about swinging you know, popular opinion on New Texas towards joining the Solar League and thereby preventing them from being attacked. Uh, and and about half the book is this legal drama. That uh, and again, when I say half the book, it's a it's a pretty short book. It's a novella almost more than a novel. Um,
1: I'd say it's definitely a novella. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It's it was the version we had was like eighty large-ish pages, but uh, yeah, exactly. Um, So the interesting thing, so as we say, space westerns were a genre at that time, uh, but it is actually interesting that um, legal dramas uh, seem to have exploded in American pop culture right about that time. Um, Like uh, Perry Mason uh, hit TV right at the same year that this book came out, uh, and so were movies 12 Angry Men and Witness for the Prosecution. Um, I think Perry Mason had been on radio before it was a TV show. Uh, so legal dramas were kind of building throughout the fifties, and that kind of became one of the big didactic uh, forms of storytelling that where you know people could talk about right and wrong and judge moral you know issues basically. So there, it it seems like legal dramas exploded in the late fifties. So in a sense, this is combining not th- two but three genres <laughs> that were really popular at the time. So it was really hedging its bets.
1: Yeah, and. Um... You mentioned it's uh, it's similar in tone to what Mad Universe, the book that we covered in our first episode, right? Yeah, it's. Sort I of, mean, um, what I
0: mean is is that it, it um, it's similar, like it in to- what Mad Universe is a bit more of a straight comedy in some ways well it's not a, except it's not a straight comedy but it's a little bit more wacky i would say than this book mm-hmm. uh, even though this book is a little bit wacky as well but it, there's just a sense to me that if you'd read pulp sci-fi in the 20s and 30s and before in the 19th century it would have been treated somewhat like straight-facedly as it were uh whereas th- in this we're getting to this post-war era and it feels like there's a bit more sophistication and wit and detachment from the source material and kind of uh, kind of deconstructing it a little bit uh, that I feels like it's unique to the 50s, wouldn't you say?
1: Uh, yeah. I mean what mad universe was
0: 49 but it's practically the 50s. Right, I de- well like I said post war years basically. World War 2 yeah. uh we're getting to the era of you know film noir being popular, you know biblical spectaculars at the film at the at the cinema, TV starting to take off like right as this uh this book was published it was sort of we were really getting to the era of TV, that kind of stuff. Um mm-hmm. it, 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 there's a there's a shift in the approach towards the audience I would say like I I would say be pre-world War two again not without I don't know personally like a huge overview of this of of the the genre I don't want to say definitively but I feel like you wouldn't get this kind of winking cleverness and whimsy to it in quite the same way you would in 20s and 30s 20s and 30s I think it was a little bit more um you know a little bit more... Straight I'm laced, straight laced, but also it was it was for mass audience, and it was kind of like, well, they wouldn't understand, like what the the premise of what Mad Universe, you know, if you haven't listened to our first show, which you really should, is uh, about a guy falling into a world that is exactly like the pulp magazines, which he because he's an ed- a pulp editor, and it's exactly like the sci fi magazines he edits, and that kind of you know uh, commentary on the genre, like meta commentary. I can't imagine that being in the World War II era because I think it was seen more as no, we're just grinding out content uh, for, you know, the, the, and the pulps were for the mass audience. They weren't, they were for the lower classes, I guess, if that's fair to say. Uh, does that, is that unreasonable, do you think, I, um, for me to say that? Yeah, or? I
1: think you can make that argument. Um, I'm not sure, but.
0: Yeah. Whereas it, with the World reasonable. War II, after World War II, you suddenly see the, the rise of the middle class. And you get this kind of middle-brow audience, which might be a little more amenable to this. I think that's what we're seeing uh, here. I
1: think it might also be uh, the specialization of uh, like the sci-fi fan as a thing. Right, yeah, that's true too. Like it's like um, fandom started popping up around this time, so it's it's like uh, there's a mm-hmm. there's a type of
0: reader that will specifically want this type of material. Right, right. Well, I mean, I, the science fiction fans existed going back to the 19th century. I'd say for sure. I,
1: uh, yeah, but it's not. It wasn't as uh, like a, I guess, nerdy subculture as much as it became.
0: Right. Yeah. No. Absolutely. Um, I always like to pin the actual rise of the sci-fi fan, uh, particularly to the late 60s and 70s. Um, like that's where what we think of as nerd fandom culture really came to start, but it's true that there were definitely like sci-fi fans in the forties and fifties, uh, John W. Campbell and amazing, or sorry, astounding, um, were definitely, um, uh, they, they, he had a a strong following in that era. And so you're right. That was kind of the first generation of, uh, real sci-fi fans, as opposed to just everyone reading sci-fi, you know? Um, from what i can understand Mm -hmm. but yeah i I think there was a a bit of a cultural division happening uh post-world war ii where suddenly there were you know middle class people who aspired to be more highbrow and might have sniffed at science fiction versus people who were maybe a little bit more willing to follow their nerdy interests as it were (laughs) uh well i wanted to talk a bit about the uh this sort of
1: sci-fi elements um sure in specific say we already discussed the super cows which um um on the cover they're just regular looking cows but really big but uh in the book like uh you read earlier there's sort of um a mix between a dash and a um hippopotamus but the size of a, a locomotive so that's that's interesting um a nuclear steam ste- locomotive yeah <laughs> whatever that is i don't know um I guess a fancy future thing. Um, oh, by the way, this story takes place approximately two hundred years in the future. hmm. Um, and there seems to be uh, some sort of—I mean, the the Solar League is sort of like the Federation, but a bit more, a bit less egalitarian.
0: Yeah, maybe. I mean, we don't get a lot of—you know—it's no, not a lot,
1: but I get the feeling they're—they're they're a little more—I don't know um, Bureaucratic, Sure. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. Uh, there, there's. Uh, there's a slight suggestion that at one time they were more, because um, they gave the Cestroph the uh, hyperdrive, you know, because they were just being generous. But uh, right. they don't do that anymore.
0: Oh yeah, I didn't mean to suggest that they were like as utopian as Star Trek. Just the idea that it was a, you know, a gang of worlds who at all who are operating together, uh, not necessarily yeah. without the usual political and bureaucratic struggles that you would get from that. <laughs> so
1: I just thought it was interesting that they sort of. It seems that the this the Solar League um, tried to be the uh, Star Trek Federation for a bit, but it just didn't go their way, so they,
0: uh... Mm-hmm.
1: Anyway, um, so New Texas also has, in addition to super cows, uh, um, they have, uh, super yams that they make super bourbon out of. <laughs> um, it, it briefly mentions super mastodons as an animal that gets hunted. Yeah. And, um there's have, super doves which are used for shooting
0: practice. Yeah. Uh, I mean there's a line
1: that says uh, everything on new texas was super something. Yeah.
0: If the super cows were the size of like tanks or larger, I can't imagine what the super mastodons are like. They must be, yeah. you know, walk land whales basically. So,
1: yeah. I'm imagining like Godzilla size or something. Yeah, exactly.
0: <laughs> Yeah. What What do they hunt them with again? What do they use for uh, those? Like it was uh,
1: like a fancy futuristic rifle from the Sisraff planets, I think. Right. Right. Yeah. Um. But yeah, they, I mean, it's obviously the "everything's bigger in Texas" thing, but mm-hmm. put yeah, on, that's on to a ridiculous, whimsical level.
0: Yeah, that's the the cliche of Texas as emerged in pop culture, especially around this period, was just the joke that you know. Uh, Texans always, they bragged nonstop, uh, and especially about how huge everything was, how huge Texas was and how huge cows were and how huge there's a, there's actually the joke about the Texan who went to to uh, Australia and you know, they he'd say, you know, oh, hey look, you're a cow, and he's like, shoot, boy, we got dogs bigger than that back in Texas, and he showed them his you know, his uh, sheep and he said shoot, boy, we got pigs bigger than that back in Texas, and then he saw some Kangaroos jumping by and he said, Well, you got some mighty fine grasshoppers out here though. <laughs> anyway. So there's that. But yeah, that's that's the 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 as it were the Henny Youngman Borschtfeld comedian or the you know Catskills yeah. type joke about Texas. Is that's the that's the cliche. Yeah,
1: yeah. but it, it's sort of it like I said, it's sort of a
0: satirical
1: mm-hmm. feeling to this book.
0: Yeah. It's um. it's they knew it, and that and like i say that's the thing the fact that this was uh you know a, as we all know pulp writers were kind of by the by the early 20th century they were really grinding out the stories you know to get you know a few cents a word or whatever the, the pay rate was at that particular time um so they would often really grind them out really fast uh but so it is funny that this is probably something along the same lines. It was, Oh, I get paid by the word I get, I crank this out and, and fill up my, uh, my portfolio and get paid. But, um, there's more of a, instead of just, yeah, let's write to a formula. It's more, (laughs) let's kind of wink at the formula. And you had to do something a little more clever than just do another as, as, as that galaxy ad that we quoted earlier said, you know, just transpose the the Western into outer space, basically. Mm. -hmm. Um, uh, yeah, you seem to uncover that, uh, I haven't read any
1: of H. Bean Piper's other stuff, but, uh, you said he wrote one about space Vikings?
0: Yeah, he did, uh, it sounds like this guy, yeah, he, 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 it sounds like he liked the idea of his, using history and transposing it to outer space, which, I mean, he was hardly the first one to do that, but, uh, he apparently wrote a series about the space Viking, um, or rather he wrote a novel called The Space Viking, which may have been turned into a series. I'm actually a little vague on this because apparently other people picked up and wrote his characters, uh, which is a little odd. Uh John F. Carr was a guy who kept writing space Viking stories uh as the as it as it continued. Um I I have no idea if he actually went Oh, I love uh, I love this obscure author so much that I'm going to continue his series. Or if it was just a case of something that uh, you know he gave his blessing to. There's only one well, space Lone Star story. Planet is in the public
1: domain for some reason. It uh, they didn't renew the copyright, so it's uh, mm. it's free to use
0: for anything. Yeah, that that makes a certain amount of sense. Uh, because you know there's <laughs> there a lot of this stuff. Just nobody bothered to keep the ownership. Uh, you know public domain. The length can extend pretty far if people want to renew the copyright. But if they don't care about renewing the copyright, uh, it does sound like things from the mid '50s are no longer. Uh, if if nobody owned them, like I, I was actually researching the Nador comics line, uh, which went up to the the mid '50s, and it sounds like Nador went out of business in the '50s, I think. Um, and it sounds like nobody bothered to pick up their intellectual property, so it is still, you know, and and I believe it was. Uh, 25 years later it would become public domain if nobody bothered to renew it and nobody did so this is probably in the same uh in yeah. the same uh, general vicinity as that uh, he also wrote something called the Alar uprising which is apparently a sci-fi version of the uh the great Indian um uh revolt in the mid 19th century against the uh east india uh, tea company um so yeah that's I mean obviously that's a pretty uh that's a pretty good uh, source for things. I'm interested that H.B. Piper's career went into the 60s, uh, which I would say the pulp era kind of changed by that point. And you had to, you got a little more fantastical. People started to, uh, the pulp fantasy came back and he wrote something called Lord Calvin of other which sounds very fantasy esque to me. Hmm. Um, oh, no, I'm sorry. No, it's not a, a fantasy thing. It's uh, uh, a guy being uh, transported to a parallel reality uh, and he's a cop, and it's about parallel reality cops. It sounds like. Oh. Yeah, that sounds interesting. Yeah, he's and he did. That's right. He did a whole series called the Paratime series, which is that uh, about cops who go between parallel realities, basically. Uh, but yeah, that's that's much more of a '60s thing, I think. Well, mm-hmm. see, again, we say Mad. Uni- what Mad Universe was that was 1949, and it had alternate. But that realities. was ahead
1: of its time in some
0: ways. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Uh, I. It would be interesting to try and pin down when the parallel realities thing started to explode into pop culture. But we're getting a little off track anyway from uh, Lone Star Planet. Um, there are some really nice covers for this book. <laughs> yeah. It was published in Fantastic uh, Universe. That was the original publication place, by the way. It was published in uh, in the, the Pulp. Magazine Fantastic Universe. Then it was published on its own, as I said, with the Andrew Norton novel. Um, what's the name? Star Lost, I believe it's called. Yeah,
1: and that's the cover that initially piqued my interest. I think. Right.
0: Any other any further thoughts at this point?
1: I guess not. It's it's a pretty short novel, so it stands to reason it would be a short episode. Yeah. Yeah. But. Uh, I, I'm I'm glad we talked about it because it's uh, I think it's worth reading and it's worth uh, getting out there to people.
0: Yeah, I, I this between this and what Mad Universe, I kind of went okay. It seems like the pulp, the post-war pulp had a bit more you know whimsy and wit to it in some yeah. ways than the pre-World War II, as I was saying. And this is making me want to dig up some of that, <laughs> some of these kind of filler pulp stories from that era, and thinking oh, some of them might be kind of entertaining basically so but I yeah this
1: one I, I thought it was interesting it has a it has a world that's sort of implied more than anything right. uh there, there's like a there's a lot of interesting world building in this story that i think could be expanded upon you could yeah. do it because it's it's
0: free to use yeah, and it's, it is it is actually funny because, you know, well, as you say, I mean, this seems like it was a genre that was almost, it was almost played out even in 1957, and so he's just kind of going, okay, you've seen this kind of thing before, so I'll give you some rough, rough details and you can just fill in all the blanks yourself, essentially. Yeah, right? but,
1: um, but not just the space western stuff, but I mean, the, the galactic politics and all that, it's just sort of right. implied, but it, what's... What we do get is sort of tantalizing and interesting. Mm -hmm.
0: Well, as with uh, a lot of genre stuff, it's always kind of, uh, you have to assume uh, that a certain trope, because it's been done before and they're just, okay, we're riffing on this trope. It has some differences, which will illuminate, will, you know, will, will elucidate what the, the small differences are, but you can assume up to this point that there's a, basically an intergalactic UN, for instance, called the Solar mm-hmm. League. Even, you know, Star Trek's Federation, when it first came out, was not a very original idea. That was that was a common idea that, yeah, basically the UN in outer space would be a thing. Um, so, so and then if there's differences, you can kind of, the, the author will usually tell you about the differences, whereas <laughs> the similarities you can just sort of assume, right? So. Yeah. But yeah, oh, it, uh,
1: we didn't really discuss the ending. Um, right. Where um, he gets, uh, he actually gets the um, the people who killed the previous ambassador off because they're because it wasn't a politician, so it should have never been tried in this court. But um, right. Uh, so, but and everybody was mad at him because he let them go
0: free. But then he just shoots them. Right. Well, it's literally like. Um for whatever I can't remember quite the legal maneuvering, but it's like you know, be, obviously there's a lot of people gunning each other. There's a lot of frontier justice in this in this town, and you know, and it literally becomes the judge realizing that he's going to clear these guys. He's going to bring his dabble, dabble down, and then a gunfight is going to erupt in the courtroom as soon as he hits the gavel. So he's like, "We're court is out of session until nine o'clock tomorrow." Hit the floor, bang, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then there's a shootout basically,
1: which is kind of hilarious. And, um, yeah, uh, Stephen Silk has has the edge both because. He- he was raised on a planet with lots of violence so he had to use he had to be trained in firearms mm-hmm. but also because he has uh special holsters that sort of eject the gun into his hands right yeah
0: he's got the, the techno spring guns that come out into him so of course he's the fast and that's and that's basically how he ends up winning he's sort of there's a girl in the story who he was who he was getting close to and then she was getting Disgusted with some of the political stuff he was doing, and he ends up winning her and and the the, the people of New Texans uh, love because he's such a, a good shooter. Basically, that's yeah. that, that's what wins him over to their side. Ultimately, he's such a he's such a a fast shooter, which is of course the classic Western trope as well. Yeah. So. Shall we wrap it up? Yeah, it was a fun one. Uh, do you uh, do you recommend it? I definitely. Oh do. yeah, yeah. No, it's. Fu- I mean, if you if it, it's it's a very it's a very throwaway uh, book, but yeah, it, this as I said, this is making me think that this era of pulp is uh, probably very per- very fun and worth uh, checking out. So I'll be yeah. delving into uh, that. One now. last thing um,
1: about the book: uh, there's a character named Wilbur Whateley. Mm-hmm. um, who's just it was the first. Uh, Person who shot a politician in the story that we're introduced to, who gets away with it, um, and uh, that's it's slightly spelled differently. But there's a Wilbur Waitley in Lovecraft. He's the uh, hmm. half-human son of Yog Soth in the Dunwich Horror. So that's interesting. I don't. I, I guess it would have to be a deliberate reference because really? that's not a don't common think so. name. Wilbur yeah, Waitley. I-
0: don't think that might have i mean even if it was deliberate it's not there's no there's no reason to link it to lovecraft specifically like if there's nothing no, about him no but i don't know that's lovecraft. Yeah. like I, when when you see things like that you kind of go okay if the author's being clever it's because there's some you know nod to the author that he's homaging or there's something about the story that makes you uh, nod to it, but in this case, I don't see any connection to Lovecraft, except maybe, maybe if you read his entire uh, you know bibliography, he'd have a ton of Lovecraft references just thrown in um, there.
1: I, I don't know. Like I said, I, I just thought it was kind of odd rereading yeah. reading it because I completely forgot about that when I yeah. know, read it the first time.
0: Well, I have people on this planet as well, they they get names like there's. They talked to one guy named David Crockett uh, <laughs> right. Johnson or whatever, and you know there's people that there's a you know, there's a Sam Houston Phillips or something like that. Oh no, the there's name. a
1: Sam Houston Continent.
0: Yeah, sorry. Yes, yeah. the continents are the the Jim Bowie and Sam Houston continents, who are of course the heroes of the Alamo. Um, yeah. Yeah, but uh, they had, uh, yeah, they 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 all have you know Texan names basically, <laughs> exaggeratedly the same way you if you gave someone the name you know. Oh Franklin. yeah, there's
1: a character whose last name is Maverick.
0: Right. Yeah, that's yeah. I don't know who the historical Maverick was, if there was any historical Maverick, but that's certainly. But it's a, a
1: very Texan sort of name.
0: Yeah, I mean, it was a. We know that I know that it was a TV show called Maverick, but uh, I think it goes back further than that. Yeah. Anyway, okay. Um, uh, shall I wrap it up, or do you have anything else? You want uh,
1: to yeah. Well. Um... Remember that uh, we both have Patreons and you can listen to episodes a week early on there and we also have other things mm-hmm. comics related and art related and things.
0: Yep. Yeah. Um, yeah, go uh, to our, our you Patreon like your
1: site specifically. Yeah.
0: Well if you if yeah, you can go to our Patreons uh, links which are uh, at the at the website, Neversleeps Network dot slash what dash mad dash universe. Um, and if you're not already listening to it here, there, uh, the links are there. Uh, Phil has a comic called the Apex Society. Um, I have a I have a website, Phantasmic Tales, with a PH, Uh and that has links to all my comics that are there. And uh, Apex, other than Apex Society, Phil, was there anything you wanted to plug? Uh, not immediately. I, I will later, but... Right. Yeah. And uh, I guess we'll mention this now. We are... Uh, hope we're we're, we're sort of in the early planning stages, but we'd like we're thinking we'll run a Kickstarter at some point over the summer Uh, we'd like this show to go weekly and uh, to do that, we uh, we've been doing it a bit guerrilla style, but we, uh, we like to host it in, uh, you know, uh, Alex Ross's studio, uh, which does uh, require a certain amount of payment. Uh, so uh, we think we might be running a Kickstarter uh, in another month or so. Uh, so if you enjoy the show, we'd really love for you guys to get on board with that. Alternately, as, you, as I say, you could uh, join our Patreon that we have. Um, we'll, we'll fill you in more about that in the upcoming uh, weeks to come. Well, buckaroos and owl hoots, I reckon it's time to saddle up and blow this planet. We are Two-Gun Adam Prosser and Deadeye Phil Rice. Theme song was by the singing cowboy Jack Feerick, and we want to wish a special thanks to Alex Yeehaw Ross, the the orneriest audio engineer this side of the Orion Arm. (laughs) As we ride off into the Betelgeusean sunset, we wish happy trails to you and yours. Y'all come back now, you hear?